I want to give you some advice. He says, you have to remember that you're one of them. You're not one of us. And at first I, you know, was offended. I said, what do you mean? He says, it's a mindset. You're a supervisor. You're one of them. You're not one of us. He says, you're a good one of them and we like you, but you're one of them. You're not one of us. So you can't interact with, you know, frontline the same way as you did before. You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years' experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now welcome back to the interrogation room ladies and gentlemen how you doing my name is dale i'm the host of the black and blue podcast thank you for joining me again today thank you thank you thank you i appreciate each and every last one of you you know i I like to talk to people all over across the country and today is no no difference i've got a chief all the way out in illinois suburb of uh, chicago he's the chief of police of the village of oak park everyone please help me welcome in ladon reynolds Evening, sir. Good evening. How are you? Excellent. How about yourself? Doing well. Doing well. All right. And and thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, like I told everyone, you are the chief of police of the Village Vogue Park in Illinois, and like I said, you are a suburb of Chicago. Is that correct? Yes. All right. We uh, we border the city of Chicago on the uh, west side. Okay. And how, how large is is your village, your city, your town? Uh, we're actually pretty densely populated. We're about four and a half square miles, and we have about uh, 55,000 residents. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. And how large is your department? Department is 121 sworn. Uh, we have 154 FTEs, full-time employed uh, individuals. Okay. All right. And how long have you been there? I have been there since 1994, so it's, this is uh, coming up into my, finishing up my 26th year. I said you came all the way up the ranks from patrol all the way up, huh? I did. Yeah, actually, it's funny. It's a funny story. So uh, when I graduated from college, uh, they gave me a call in August, which is around uh, my birthday. And uh, it was like a nice birthday present to, uh, you know, to be hired. So it worked out. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That would have been a good present for me, too. That's yeah, no (laughs) doubt. No doubt. And then, uh, so you've been there the whole, the whole time. Are you from the area? Yeah. So I'm from, uh, Chicago, uh, to be honest with you, I wasn't very, very familiar with Oak Park. You know, it's funny. Chicago's, uh, one of those cities where if you grew up on the South side, you pretty much hang out on the South side. And by Oak Park being West, I wasn't as familiar with that suburb, but, uh, I was familiar enough with it to know that it was close to home. I only took a few tests because I wanted to stay close. And, uh, yeah, they called me and it worked out. All right. And you were happy with that decision ever since, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right. absolutely. All right. It's been a, it's been a great journey. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you are the chief now, but you've been uh, a bunch of different assignments there. Can you tell me about, uh, some other assignments that you've done? 
Sure. When I first started, I actually volunteered to work the midnight shift. Uh, you know, my father was a Chicago fireman and uh, my mother was a school teacher. So the, the thought of service has always been instilled in, in myself and my siblings. And so I figured, hey, you know, policing is a 24 hour day job. Let me get used to working the midnight shift. Um, so I did that for a couple of years, came off of midnights and and then I got drafted uh, to go into the investigations division as a street crimes officer. So I did that for a year and then uh, a position for a detective opened up and I was fortunate enough to grab it. Um, during that time, uh, there was a sergeant's test available. And so I figured, you know, I had a plan. I had a plan. My plan was to be a patrol officer for 10 years, be a detective for 10 years, and then be a sergeant for 10 years and then retire. I figured I'd do 30 years um, and then max out. And I took the sergeant's test and messed around and got promoted. So I got promoted with like five years on the job. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so I had to really rethink who I was and, and how my career was going to, you know, pan out. Now, did you think, uh, did you think you were ready at that time? Uh, no, no, I didn't. And this is why I had to kind of reinvent myself. Um, but what I learned, I learned some pretty good lessons that first year, uh, guy by the officer by the name of Richie, a veteran officer, approached me and he says, uh, I want to give you some advice. He says, you have to remember that you're one of them. You're not one of us. And at first I, you know, was offended. I said, what do you mean? He says, it's a mindset. You're a supervisor. You're one of them. You're not one of us. He says, you're a good one of them and we like you, but you're one of them. You're not one of us. So you can't interact with you know, front line the same way as you did before. And so, uh, you know, I took that to heart. And uh, the other thing was I was put on the midnight shift as a brand new sergeant. And what I quickly realized is that every one of the individuals under my supervision was old enough to be my parent, male and female. Right. And so uh, what I figured out was this. And as a supervisor, it's really not my job to tell people what to do. It's my job to create an environment where they can do their best work to kind of uh, remove obstacles and to support them. And so, you know, I learned that uh, effective supervision is really about paving that way uh, for individuals to reach their full potential. So uh, that's kind of how I got into uh, supervising and, and eventually command. Yeah, absolutely. So you said uh, the people that you were commanding are a little bit younger than you. How, how old are you now? Uh, I am uh, in my late 40s. In your late 40s. Yeah. You look, you look good, 40s. though. You look good, though. I appreciate yeah. it. I appreciate it. Just had, a, just had a kid. All right. Wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Congratulations. So, thank you, sir. Yeah. Thank you. What, what's the family like? Married? How many kids you got? I'm married. Uh, I've got uh, two daughters at home and now a brand new son. Uh, I got my oldest daughter is 19. I have a 13 year old and I have a brand new baby boy. Yeah. You got a big so, span there. Yeah. I got a big span. <laughs> Look, I was surrounded for a few years, but now I got help. You now know you, what I mean? Yeah. I got some backup now. <laughs> you mean you got help that he's going to help you walk. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. It's funny. You know, when, when, uh, when my daughter was young to just to kind of illustrate the point of me being surrounded, uh, my wife gave me a call and she says, uh, you know, our daughter wants a dog. And I says, okay. Uh, and it was a boy dog. Right. So I'm excited. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm ain't no ma other testosterone, no other male. So I got a boy dog. Right. And uh, 
Come to find out it was a Maltese and they named him Flower. <laughs> so, uh, come on, man. Really? So that's what I, yeah. yeah, that's what I was dealing with. So, so but, uh, it's all good. It's all love. But you, uh, you, you call him Flo though, right? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, family's good and, uh, very supportive and just, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. What, what's your daughter think about you being a police officer? Um, you know, again, you know, we're a public service family, so, um, it's something normal to them. Um, they support me. They understand, uh, what the role of police in society is. My wife is also in, uh, enforcement. Uh, she's a supervisor of investigations. And so, uh, for another department and, uh, they just, you know, they support us and they understand. And they also know this is a huge responsibility. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a positive thing. Yeah, it's great. Uh, you mentioned earlier, your dad was, uh, with fire department, correct? He was a Chicago fireman. He's passed away. He's since passed away, okay. but yeah, he, uh, spent his career with the Chicago fire department. Well, you, you disappointed and went to the other side, huh? You know, there's always so, that friendly look, rivalry. There, there is. And it's funny when I got on the job, you know, they, they told me I stood in the wrong line. Um, but, uh, I tell you what, when I was a kid, I used to spend the night at the firehouse. And of course I couldn't Chicago fire department there. They fight fires aggressively. Okay. And I can remember seeing my father, uh, pull up on a scene and, you know, no mask, cigarette in his mouth, fighting the fire. Okay. Now, of course they don't do that anymore. And I would be sitting on the truck and the smoke would overcome me just sitting on the truck. And those guys are out there laughing and puffing away yeah. on cigars and cigarettes and fighting the fire. So I, I rather, uh, I would take my chances on the other side. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I, right. I say that about, a you know, the firefighters in my town as well. You know, when they work, they actually work. You know, yes, they do. They do. But yes, you know, do. it's all about when, when they do work. Yeah. You know? That's true. <laughs> That's true too. That's true too. And, um, yeah. how, how about the rest of the family, you know, and the extended family, how do they feel about you going into law enforcement? You know, everybody's pretty supportive. I have a brother who is a police officer as well for another department. Um, and I have another brother who was a dispatcher. Um, and so, you know, again, service, you know, is, uh, is the name of the game. Now I will say this initially, when I looked at this career, there were some family members that were hesitant because they understood how tough the job was, especially in the city of Chicago. And so, I won't say they dissuaded me. They tried to dissuade me. But what I'll say is that they were, you know, they wanted me to be careful and make sure that I was uh, making the right choice for me. And I also had some friends that were pretty concerned. Right. Uh, but ultimately, you know, here's the thing. You, you have to engage. You have to lean in. And, you know, I, just like any other African-American male in this country, I've had uh, issues uh, with uh, the police in the sense that, um, I felt like I was stopped for no reason or talked to aggressively for no reason for just walking down the street. And from my perspective, the best way to, you know, address that and bring about change is to be a part of the solution. Absolutely. And join. Yeah. So that, 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 that was part of my whole story too. So, you yeah. know, either you're part of the problem or you're part of the solution. I want to be part of the solution. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good stuff. And you mentioned, uh, you know, you went to college. Did you go to college out there and in, in that area? Uh, no. So I went to uh, uh, college downstate, uh, down at the uh, southern tip of Illinois, and uh, got a bachelor's down there. And then later on, went back and got a master's degree. Um, and my part of my passion is teaching. So 
my bachelor's is in administration of justice, but my master's degree is in workforce education and development, which is all about adult learning, which kind of goes back to that transition I had to make because when I became a supervisor, you know, I had to, again, reinvent myself. So I became a department instructor. And so that led me into uh, the field training program. I eventually went back to being a detective as a sergeant, uh, got promoted to command. So I became a patrol commander and then a detective commander. I spent most of my career uh, in investigations as a commander. Uh, simultaneously, um, I was kind of moving through the ranks in the SWAT team. So I became a team leader and then eventually the SWAT commander. Oh, so, you, so you're one of the SWATters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 We've since we've since uh, transitioned to more of a uh, a rifle team because uh, you know we have a relationship with uh, a larger department n- near us, and they would be the ones who would respond for you know HPT incidents. But uh, we do keep uh, current with our tactical training. Okay. So is it? Uh, do you allow them to uh, to handle the incidents, or is it more like a regional team that you guys have now? So uh, they, we would be more of a containment, uh, you know, instrument, and that other team would come in. Gotcha. And uh, address the more surgical uh, operations. Gotcha, gotcha. What are the uh, the demographics of, of Oak Park? So the village of Oak Park is roughly uh, 70 to 75% white. Uh, I would say r- around 15 to 20% black. Uh, and then I would say the rest is other, maybe 75% white. I don't know. Yeah. Somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. Is there a large, and, is there a large Hispanic, com- uh, community? Not within Oak Park. Uh, they are part, but it, I would say the, the rest of other makes up, you know, our Latin X and uh, Asian populations. And, uh, you know, to coincide with that, the department is a pretty good reflection of our community. We have good representation. So. We're very fortunate in that regard. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. How's, how about your department? Yeah, no, uh, pretty diverse department. Uh, of course, you know, trying to recruit women into into policing is difficult. So as far as that demographic, it's not 50-50. But uh, in the, all the other areas, we're, we're pretty much spot on. Yeah, no doubt. So, you know, uh, kind of the elephant in the room we are talking about off camera is uh, the mm-hmm. events shaping our nation right now with the George Floyd yes. incident and, and the BLM yes. protest. How did that, any of that affect your department in your city? Well, again, by our proximity to Chicago, uh, you know, and we have two uh, CTA train lines that run through Oak Park, as well as the uh, Metro, which is more of the commuter rail line. So a lot of rail lines that run throughout town. Um, and we're nine miles from downtown, which is actually closer than some neighborhoods in the city. Uh, so a lot of our residents uh, work in the city. Um, we experience a, a lot of peaceful protests in Oak Park. And I'll, I'll tell you that our citizenry is very active. And so uh, they've uh, formulated some very strong opinions in support of Black, Live Ma- Black Lives Matter and a lot of the national conversation. So uh, as, a, as a community, we were impacted because our citizens were vocal in support. So there were a lot of peaceful protests. Um, but as a region, we were impacted by some of the issues, you know, that the city of Chicago had. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was wanted to get at is making sure you guys had peaceful protests. 
So for the yes. most part, you had peaceful. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And the relationship between our community in Oak Park and the neighboring community in Chicago is, uh, uh, is very close. So there were some joint protests where, you know, the residents uh, interacted and, and, and worked together. So that was a, a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. How about COVID? How, how did COVID uh, affect your, your town? You know, I tell you, you know, we as a community, our uh, mayor was very progressive and proactive uh, when this pandemic first hit. And so we uh, instituted uh, shelter in place orders actually ahead of the state of Illinois, um, a, f- a few days ahead of the state of Illinois. So we've been very fortunate. Uh, our, our numbers are, are pretty low. Uh, it has impacted, um, you know, the workforce to some degree. But, you know, thankfully, all of our individuals who've been impacted have recovered and back to work. And our community has been, you know, pretty low as it relates to incidents, you know, and mortality. Did any of that affect your operations or how you, you know, proactive activity, you know, stops or, you know, uh, how you responded to calls? You know, what we did was we triaged and, and, you know, uh, the emergency calls for service are, our operation didn't stop in that regard. But of course, we tried to do differential response, which is taking reports over the phone. Uh, we kind of changed some of our processes as it relates to uh, face-to-face contact and tried to limit that. We also put in some structural changes inside the building so that we could you know, create partitions and separations from, from the public and, and the officers. Uh, we mandated masks. Uh, and we did all those things, I think, that you saw other agencies do to uh, to maintain the health and safety of not only the employees, but also the community, um, you know, and you want to lead by example. And so we did that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm glad all you guys were making it through, you know, relatively yeah. unscathed, you know, just like a mm-hmm. lot of us, but uh, how about, how about the schools in, in your area? Are they uh, gearing up to open back up or? I think they're still in discussions trying to figure out the best course. I mean, um, in Illinois, uh, you know, we're not spiking the same way that some of the other states are. Um, but, you know, there are some indications that we need to be cautious. So I think that's an ongoing conversation and uh, it'll probably be determined within the upcoming weeks. Right. OK, good, good. So during your rise through the police department, were, were there anyone any uh, individuals that kind of helped you along the way, mentored you, uh, you know, during your, your, your stint at every level, you know, detective, sergeant, anyone that kind of helped you along the way? You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, my, my department has gone through various transformations, as you can imagine, from the 90s until now. Uh, but one of the things that I have been able to do is find individuals to, uh, if not mentor, to, to uh, observe and try to emulate. And so, uh, you know, it's always good to have, uh, I call them surrogates, you know what I mean? You have individuals who can step into your life and, and make a difference and, and show you the right way to do things. There was no other police in my family, so I didn't have a resource to talk to to have those conversations. And so some of the older African-American officers that had been on the job for quite some time kind of filled in. But not only African-American officers, but some of the, you know, Caucasian supervisors. I actually, uh, by me going into investigations pretty early, um, I was able to establish some relationships, long lasting relationships 
um, that helped me develop. And, you know, those individuals spanned all colors and creeds. Yeah. And are you kind of paying that back in your, in your department as well? Absolutely. So here's the thing from a leadership perspective, uh, I get my, I get the most joy out of seeing, uh, my people succeed, you know, whatever that is for you. If you want to be a supervisor, I'm going to give you the information that you need, give you the training, give you the opportunity to realize your full potential. And when you reach those goals, to me, that's a success. Now, everybody can't be chief. Everybody can't be a commander, but um, it's almost like a team. What way can you contribute to the organization? What way can you best uh, serve the organization and yourself? And self-actualization really is what it boils down to. And so, yeah, absolutely. We create those opportunities for people to to grow, uh, not only in their personal uh, knowledge of policing and their professional knowledge of policing, but also uh, grow in ways that they can benefit the community. Um, when we were off camera, you and I were talking about how it, we've made decisions to, you know, go into policing. And so I've always talked to my officers and explained that the police, uh, Sir Robert Peel said it best, right? 200 years ago, he laid out those nine principles of policing. And one of which he said that the police are the public and the public are the police, the police being only those members of the public who are paid to give full time and attention to duties incumbent upon all citizens. So what I take, say to my officers are, is that it's not us against them. The more successful you are, the better officer you are, the better you benefit the agency, the better you benefit the community and we all win. Uh, so does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's good stuff. Good stuff. I noticed you got a, excuse me, a pretty cool looking uh, shirt you got on right there. What is, what is that? Is that from the FBI Leadership Academy? What is that? Uh, yeah, it's a, uh, a FBI National Academy uh, polo. I graduated the National Academy in 2015. Congratulations. So, uh, Congra- thank yeah. you. Thank you. What does that entail for our, for our viewers? So uh, the top 1% of law enforcement executives um, uh, graduate attend and graduate the National Academy. It was started in the early 1900s. I want to say around the 30s. I'm not sure. But basically what they do uh, is take 200 to 300 uh, top law enforcement officials throughout the world. So there's an international component and a national component. And they uh, educate you on the best practices in policing, uh, best practices as it relates to officer wellness, and best practices as it relates to management. It also coincides with a, with a uh, physical fitness uh, program. So uh, they want you to be healthy, mind, body, and spirit. And you're there for 10 weeks. And uh, it culminates in a 6.1-mile run through the woods of Virginia, which is brutal. Uh, and and command staffers do that, huh? That's right. Oh, yes. These are all chiefs, uh, commanders. I think the lowest rank you can be is a lieutenant. And uh, of all ages, there were people in my class that were in their 60s. And so they they work you out for 10 weeks and it culminates into the yellow brick road. And, uh, you know, once you make that accomplishment, I tell you, it's a huge thing. So when you see those yellow bricks, that means that that individual went through, uh, you know, blood, sweat and tears to, to make that accomplishment. So I tell you what, it was the pinnacle of my career as far as executive development, but tough to be away from home. So, yeah. All right. And you said that was in 2015. That was 2015. I also attended uh, the Police Executive Research Forum's uh, Police Management Institute, which is PERF. Uh, that was at Boston University. That's three weeks. And basically, they bring in professors from MIT, Harvard, Boston College, uh, Boston University to 
instruct you on the best practices in management, negotiations, uh, and things of that nature. Nice, nice. Congratulations. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. So, uh, since you've been chief, what sort of uh, changes have you implemented uh, as far as you know interactions with the community? Uh, has there been anything that you've had to overhaul right aw- right away as soon as you uh, took office? Sure. So, you know, I tell you that for Oak Park and, you know, anybody can visit our website and see it. The cornerstone of policing for us is community policing. And so we've always been progressive. We have a, a resident beat officer program that's about 25 years old now where we have individuals who live or are assigned to various beats in town. And that is that communities or that beat that zones personal police officer and their uh, responsibility is to handle the chronic issues uh, that relate to, uh, you know, life safety um, and quality of life. So one of the things that I did uh, when I first stepped in. And so, again, community policing, but that's a kind of a big term. And so what I wanted to do is just kind of move us into the 21st century. So what I've done is implement uh, President Obama's 21st Century Task Force on policing. There's six pillars, and I've made that the foundation of our operational plan. I've actually structured the organization in such a way that each component of our organization um, has a specific uh, responsibility to one of those six pillars. For example, we have a professional uh, professional standards department that works out of my office. And they're not only responsible, responsible for accountability, but also for officer wellness and safety. Um, and, account, uh, and also, uh, you know, our policies and procedures, things of that nature. Um, so what I've tried to do is get the command staff and it's work, you know, I've, I've got buy-in from everyone. They understand that uh, this is a path towards excellence and, and public service and uh, also uh, officer wellness. You know, I tell you what, you have to take care of your officers. You have to make sure that um, they have mechanisms and processes in place to, uh, you know, work through some of the traumatic incidents that we experience. You know, you've probably seen it on your job. There's a such thing as cumulative PTSD, right? And so if you see these traumatic incidents over the course of your career, it can lead to, you know, psychological uh, and uh, mental health issues. Um, and officers, you know, that manifests itself in, in several ways. We have a high divorce rate. You know, we right. have officers who, you know, have issues with uh, substance abuse, things of that nature, or even aggressive behavior on the street, right? So if you have somebody who's struggling with um, issues, they're not going to be their best when they encounter that citizen who's having their worst day. So we've implemented the 21st century principles and pillars. Uh, We've beefed up our officer wellness program. We've uh, uh, started to review our policies and procedures, our general orders, and uh, again, moving the organization into the 21st century. That includes technology. So we spent a lot of money and resources on technology upgrading. All right. And are you guys having the same problems as everywhere else is, uh, having as far as recruiting and, and filling those holes that, you know, when people retire out and attrition and all that? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a good question. Um, one of the things that I did when I took over as chief is also uh, look at our recruitment, you know, cause garbage in garbage right. out. Right. So we looked at our recruitment and, and uh, we have a recruitment plan. 
But in order to facilitate that plan, you know, what are you doing to bring those people in? How are you going out to meet those individuals where they are? So I remember when I was recruited, I met uh, two officers, came to my college. But it's it's my understanding that we hadn't done that in a while. So I connected with our HR department. We got together a team and we began to not only recruit at you know colleges in the area, we went all over the state. Um, we also went to various different diversity uh, center job fairs and kind of get our message out, let people know who we are. I also sent a diverse team of uh, recruiters so individuals can see that, you know, it takes all, t- all, all shapes and sizes to make an excellent organization. So I just wanted to make sure our representation was there. So that's part of it too. Yeah. Um, I remember when I came on the job and took the test, there were maybe 800 to 1,000 people packed into the high school to take that mm-hmm. test. I think the last time there were less than 200, we gave a test. Yeah. So you, and you know, as you go through that process, you know, some people um, don't make it because it's a very arduous and and very uh, difficult process. And so, you know, the bigger the pool, the better your opportunities are to fill the positions that you need. And why do you think that is nowadays that those pools are going down from 800 to down to 200? Sure. So I think it's a complex, uh, it's a complex issue. I think part of it is the economy. We've experienced, you know, uh, up until, you know, last year or the year before, uh, one of the best economies from that came out from the Obama administration, right? He uh, turned things around. Um, and so we were experiencing low turnout then. Um, I think when the economy is good, uh, people tend to kind of shy away from public service because in the private sector, you're going to make more money. Now, one of the things I always tell people, and this is a selling point, is that in the public sector, your salary is dependent upon tax rolls. In the private sector, it's dependent upon the economy. Um, the government is going to get paid, so you're going to get paid if you're, <laughs> you know right, what I mean. Right. If your if your salary is dependent upon the tax rolls, and so I think you know people are are seeing that. Uh, we may see kind of a swing back now that we have you know these issues with the economy now. Um, I think the other thing is that um, there's been a narrative post 9/11. Uh, where during 9-11, we, you know, everybody was supportive of the police, but there's been a narrative that has shifted. And that's part of the national conversation. Um, and one of the things I, I speak to on that is that people have to understand that there are almost 18,000 different police departments in this country. Yep. And we don't have a national police force. Like if you go to London, England, if you go to Italy, if you go to you know, Greece or some of these other countries, they all have national police forces. Uh, we're set up in America differently. And it's on purpose because you police at the local level through the collective consciousness of the community. So yes, you may see an incident in another state or in another town, but that doesn't necessarily reflect the attitudes or the culture of the organization where you live. Um, and so that's part of it too. There's a, there's a national narrative out there that is, um, you know, um, working against uh, the police. And, and that's part of it. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So, we, yeah, I, I think you're kind of alluding to the uh, defund the police movement and the, and all of that going on. Sure. Um, are, are you hearing sure. and seeing much of that in, in the area, in Chicago area and in, in, uh, Oak Park area? Absolutely. There's there's definitely a contingent out there that um, are saying defund the police. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure what that term means. I've, I've been doing some research on it, and some people are saying that it's, you know, 
allocate resources to social service um, agencies or third sector organizations so that the police don't respond to non-criminal matters. Uh, but what I'll tell you is this, is that, you know, the police are the first visible layer of government and uh, we're out there 24 seven. And if somebody is in need of uh, assistance, help, um, who better than the officers now? Those officers need to be trained right. and they need to have the information to respond appropriately, right? You don't bring, uh, you don't bring, you know, the wrong tool to solve the problem. So that's why it's important that as our officers, you know, there's, the officers are a lot more educated and a lot more professional than they were 30, 40 years ago. And so as we're paying officers more, right, right. as we're demanding more from our officers, we need to make sure that they have the information and the training to uh, facilitate the police mandate, which is basically to care for the health, welfare, and safety of the community. Um, so, you know, it really boils down to the leadership in these different organizations and the culture of those organizations. And are you equipping? Again, my, my master's degree is in workforce education and development. How are you educating and developing your work, your workforce so that they can respond to the needs of your individual community? Again policing through the collective consciousness of the community. Right. Right. You know, going back to, you know, defunding and what does that mean? Uh, you know, I know sure. a lot of that has to do with uh, a lot of the duties that other agencies used to handle back in the day uh, that they got defund defunded and now, you know, are, are kind of falling on the police, you know, just let the police yeah. handle it. Um, and a lot of the homelessness and all that type of stuff, you know, where there used to be agencies to, to kind of help out, you know, they're no longer there. So now they just say, oh, well, let the, let the police handle it. So uh, it, it's kind of a, a bigger, bigger issue that we got to deal with. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in the late 60s, okay. early 70s, there were uh, advances in uh, psychotropic drugs. Right. Yeah. Because we used to have institutions where uh, mental health institutions where individuals could go that were government funded and, you know, facilitate wellness now. There's a lot of information out there that says that those places weren't very good at rehabilitation or facilitating mental health, but that's another conversation. As the advances in psychotropic drugs came about, again, in the late 60s, early 70s, we began to see the defunding of these mental health institutions and these government-run facilities. And then, of course, like you just mentioned, uh, and it's not illegal to be mentally ill, right? And if somebody doesn't want to adhere to their medication management program, there's nothing illegal about that. So um, that's now how you see the homelessness and, and some of the things that the police deal with. Uh, in Oak Park, what I'll tell you is, is that we partner with our third sector uh, organization agencies, such as uh, Housing Forward and, you know, Coalition to help the mental health, the, the homeless, and also uh, what we call PADS, which is a shelter that is uh, run through our ecumenical community. And when we engage those individuals, we offer them services. Sometimes we'll have those organization street teams, if you will, come out to help us speak to those individuals or give them literature on that. Um, the other thing is, is that we make sure officers are trained in CIT, uh, make sure they're trained in de-escalation, make sure they can recognize if somebody's in crisis, not to criminalize that behavior, which we've seen you know, across the country. Um, Cook County is well known to be one of the largest, I think the largest mental health facility, Cook County Jail, 
is one of the largest mental health facilities in the country, if not the state of Illinois. So uh, if you give people the tools, if you give your officers the tools to recognize when someone needs resources as opposed to criminalizing the behavior, I think that goes a long way to not only police legitimacy, but also serving that community the way they need to be served. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So what are one of the uh, more rewarding parts of your job now as chief? Wow. Um, hmm. You know, I, again, I like to see my people succeed. So uh, promotional ceremonies are great. Um, you know, opportunities to send people to training where the feedback comes back to the agency that they they really benefited from it. They really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I'll say in many agencies, the training budget is the first thing to go. And here's go back to that defund the police. The majority of police budgets across this nation is salary, right? And uh, the state of Illinois is a, uh, a collective bargaining state. We have a lot of unions. I think within my organization alone, I have at least five, yeah. uh, four or five mm-hmm. unions. So uh, much of our uh, our budget is already spent, right? So there's very little in discretionary funds. I would say less than 3% for me. And so when I'm able to send people to training, I, when I'm able to give people those opportunities to uh, expand and to evolve and to uh, learn more about the craft that they've chosen, right, then I, I, I feel good. It, it's, a, it's a benefit. And also I tell my organization that all of us, all of us are smarter than one of us. So, yeah, I'm the chief. And that just means I have a different set of responsibilities, but I'm no more important than a parking enforcement officer or a community service officer or a frontline police officer. We all are here doing the same thing, uh, trying to serve the community and facilitate our duties and responsibilities. Right. Right. So I, I, I grant, I get pleasure from that. Seeing people win, you know yeah. what I mean? Seeing people. Win. No doubt. No doubt. And on the flip side, what's one of the more challenging parts of your job? You know, I tell you, it's the lack of understanding, you know, Unfortunately, in this country, people get their concept of policing. And and for me, there's a difference between law enforcement and policing. They're not synonymous, right? So as a local police department, I submit to you that very little of what you do is law enforcement, right? Most of it is uh, conflict resolution, uh, record keeping, mediation, things of that nature. Uh, You're not all the time putting people in handcuffs or issuing tickets, right? Right. Throughout your eight or 10 hour day. So at the local level, uh, people don't really understand what policing is. They get their concept of what we do from television, right? And uh, they think because they saw Law and Order, or uh, if you're a little bit older, Hill Street Blues, or you know, uh, I don't know, Reno Nine One One or Brooklyn Nine, whatever these shows. I hope are, not those. You two. think that? <laughs> right, right, right. But you know, uh, they they figure they understand what we do, but there's there's. Uh, there's real, there's a real science uh, that's involved in what we do, and so I think what's difficult is making is trying to convey to people what the profession of policing really is, what our duties and responsibilities are as it relates to serving citizens. And, and one of the things I say is that um, what we're responsible for, from a general from a general standpoint, can be found in the Constitution. Right? We all swear an oath to uphold the Constitution. And, you know, in the preamble, it says that we're to ensure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. 
That's what the police are there for, right? You, you believe in, you're supposed to police through the constitution, everybody's rights, treat people with dignity and respect, uh, preserve the fourth amendment rights, right? Um, preserve their right to free speech, things of that nature. So when we talk about the protests, I don't have a problem with people protesting. That's your constitutional mm-hmm. right. I just don't, I feel like you shouldn't allow your rights to infringe on someone else's rights. You know, we all have to be uh, orderly and respectful of each other. So I think that's kind of the difficulty we have is explaining to people who we are and what we do uh, in the real sense and not for them to get their perception from television, media, or uh, the negative things that they see. Case in point, if there's almost 18,000 police departments across the nation, then there's literally millions of contacts that the police have with the public every day. Um, If you see on television per year, 10, 20, even 30 negative contacts in comparison to a million, you know what I mean? There are good police officers out there doing a good job. We just have to make sure we have the tools to root the bad ones out. So, yeah. That's what my you know, but playing is. devil's advocate, that you know, the other sure. side could say well, those are the only ones that we that we were able to record that we that we heard about. Sure, yeah. you know, I tell you what, if you if you have that mentality, you're gonna all if you're looking for a negative, you're gonna always find yeah. something. But the fact of the matter is, is that um, it's not the majority of officers. No doubt, most of, most of the people that I've come in contact in my career. Um, do it for altruistic reasons, right? I want to help. I want to be of service. Um, uh, like you and I, you know, I had a negative experience and I want to be the positive. I want to get in and change some things. And so, uh, you know, this is, when you become a police officer, it's not just you, your whole family becomes part of, you know, policing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're if you have a spouse or a significant other or a partner, they're serving right alongside you. When you get up in the middle of the night and put on that vest and leave at you know, 10 o'clock at night to go do a midnight shift, your wife or your spouse or your partner, they're, uh, you know, they're serving with you because they're not sleeping until you get home. Um, I think people need to understand that, that uh, there are good men and women out there serving. And again, we need to have the right mechanisms in place to hold the ones who operate outside of policy accountable. Absolutely. So as an African-American male, you, you know, you said you noticed you, you had a few incidents, you know, during your, your life uh, and you wanted to change that. Have you noticed anything uh, coming up as an officer where, you know, uh, maybe you being there kind of stopped something or you kind of got a vibe that, you know, something may have happened if, if had you not been there? You know, uh, hmm. not that I can recall offhand. Um, what I can say is that I've been in situations where my presence has calmed down uh, the person who was stopped. Okay, you yeah. know what I mean. There may have been anxiety on the part of the suspect, right? This individual stopped because they matched description or what have you, or they've been identified. And you know, a lot of times I'll be there to explain it. I think sometimes because I've been on the other side of that. Um, I have a, a more, uh, I, I can relate more to what it feels mm-hmm. like. And so, you know, information is power. And I don't have a problem explaining to anybody why I'm doing, you know, you've seen these incidents where, you know, somebody will pull somebody over, why are you stopping me? Give me your ID first, turn the car off. No, 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 
I don't have a problem telling you why I stopped you. This is what's going on. This is why I stopped you. And this is what's going to happen. And I need your cooperation. As long as I have that, you know, I mean, there have been times when I've uh, keyed up the radio and asked dispatch to repeat the description and let the person hear it. And then I say, this is why I stopped you. And they're like, okay, that makes yeah. sense. You know, and you treat people with dignity and respect. It goes a long way. It's when you start to uh, dehumanize individuals and treat them as if they're, you know, objects yep. and, and not real people. And that's when things change. If, you know, again, knowledge is power, information. No is power. doubt. Because yeah, people understand we yeah. got a job to do. And so long as, you know, yep. we treat them with respect along the way, you know, they understand. It's been my experience that the black community, the African-American community wants police. Right. They want the police yep. in their neighborhood. They want the police to do their jobs. Um, so, you know, it's really it's not what you do. It's how you do it. And again, if you if you treat people with dignity and respect and you police through the Constitution and understand that everybody has rights, um, then I think that just goes a long way. Yeah. yeah great. So what uh, as an African-American male, have you seen as far as changes in in the command staffs, you know, opportunities uh, for command, for promotion uh, in, within the African-American or, or minorities in general? You know, I can only speak for the region and, and for my department. I think, uh, again, agencies that I come in contact, uh, they work hard to try to reflect their population. So, uh, you know, in the city of Chicago, we've had African-American superintendents, African-American deputies, superintendents and chiefs and deputy chiefs for, for years. Um, in Oak Park, we had a African-American chief for almost 14 years. Um, and he was the chief before the guy I succeeded. Um, we've uh, had female command staff, uh, female sergeants, I think. Um, and, and I see that in other agencies. So I would say as I've, you know, evolved and grown in this, in this profession, I see more of us in leadership positions. And I think that that is a positive. Again, it's important that um, people see themselves. So how can you get a female officer to want to be a detective or to want to be a tactical officer or to want to be a, a sergeant or a lieutenant or a commander? They need to be able to look and say, okay, I, I can yeah. do that. You know, I see that person in me. And so it's important that, you know, when people have uh, the qualifications and the skill set to succeed in those positions, you make sure those doors are open so that they have opportunity. Yep. And then you cultivate that, that mentoring that we yeah. spoke about, you know, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. That that's one of the discussions that I've had with a with a few coworkers is uh, you know when you're recruiting and you don't have that African American presence or that minority presence um, when you're right. trying to recruit someone and they don't see anyone in leadership, uh, you know they say, well, why would I want to go work for that department when I don't see anyone like me in leadership? Mm -hmm. I only see you know you know patrol officers. So yeah. And I think that's the same in, in every other uh, profession there is. I remember being in high school, uh, you know, what, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, I didn't know what all the jobs were. Doctor, lawyer, cop, fireman, teacher, right. you know what I mean? Not a whole bus driver. It's you, you, you think about what you see. And so I think it's important that, uh, you know, those images are reflected back so that uh, people who are interested can, can see it's possible for them. I mean, think about it. When you were a kid, did you ever think we'd have a black president? No, no, no. Yeah. Right. But now, now we know it's possible. It 
and that it will happen again. And as recently as the nineties, you know, the, the late rapper Tupac even said that in a song, you know, right. We're not ready ready for a black black president. president. That's right. You know, a few years later we had a black president. So anything can happen. Anything can happen. So, all right, chief, I appreciate you coming on. Great conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, I enjoyed this. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. This. But we're not done yet. Uh, I got to, okay. yeah, before I you know, let you go, I, I do a little something with my guests. Uh, sometimes I play a game. Sometimes I just do a lightning round. So I decided I'm going to do a lightning round with you. So this is called. Uh, Last night I saw a superhero. He was black. He said, this is for the street. Black lightning's back. All right, I call this my black lightning round. I'm just going to throw some quick questions at you. And you just tell me what's going on at the top of your head. All right, you ready for it? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I think you'll get through it. All right. All right. All right. All right. Your least favorite assignment in your career. Least favorite assignment in my career. Wow. Um I know there's gotta be one of them. You know, I've always this it sounds crazy, but I've always been like everything's an opportunity to learn and grow. Let me let me think. Was there something I didn't like to do? I mean, I enjoy foot patrol. Well, I didn't say you uh, didn't like it, just your least favorite. <laughs> least least favorite i didn't like being in a beat okay being i didn't like being confined to a beat so that was my least favorite um and i was only in patrol for probably three or three years um but i didn't like being confined to one beat i like being able to go all over so right okay uh, that's my least favorite okay assignment. all right best tv father of all time best tv father of all time there's some good ones yeah, there are some good ones. Uh, <laughs> James Evans. <laughs> yeah, don't let him get that belt. <laughs> don't let him get that belt. But guess what? He was always working and trying hard yeah. for his family. And he, he listened, right? First he yelled. Yeah. But then he, and then he listened. listened. So, yeah, no doubt. No and then he listened. Yeah. So, okay, I'll say James Evans. Okay, from good times. Yeah. <laughs> from good times, yeah. All right, so uh, in, in your department, we don't do that much here on the on the West Coast, but you know, command staff, you know, you guys wear white shirts. How do you guys yes. keep those white shirts so clean? Uh, so it's interesting that you asked that because I had a conversation with somebody about this. Um, you wash them in hot water with color safe bleach, and you don't dry them, and do not dry clean it. Okay. If you dry clean it, it'll turn gray. So you and you don't put it in the dryer; it'll turn gray. So you hang it out, let it air dry. And then you iron it and, you know, throw a little starch on it. And they last a little while, huh? And they last a little while. I got shirts that's probably older than some of my kids. Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) Sade or Anita Baker? Anita Baker. Anita Baker. Okay. All right. Yes, sir. So uh, you used to be a SWAT commander. Uh, Could you still qualify on the SWAT course? Absolutely. Oh, no doubt. Of course. No doubt. No doubt. Said that that without hesitation. No doubt. All right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the 85 Bears or the 95 96 Bulls? That was a 72 win. Bears. Yeah, 85 Bears. Uh, you know, I played football in high school. Um, love the love the Bulls, love Jordan. That's you know, that's my era, but uh, 85 Bears, man. All right. 85 All right. Bears. So, uh, you know, we talked about the kind of friendly rivalry between police and fire. And yes. uh, so, who wins in an arm wrestling match between you and the Oak Park Fire Chief? Oh well, of course I'm gonna of win. Course. You know what I mean? I'll make I'll make it good. I'll make it good. All right. You know what I mean? I'll give him a little bit, but of course I will win. <laughs> All right. 
So uh, okay. So you got a buddy flying in from out of town. What restaurant are you taking him to? Uh, how buddy like my guy? Yeah, my guy or your, your man. Your man's coming in from out of town. My man's coming in from out of town. I like Ethiopian food, so I'm probably taking him to Ethiopian Diamond, which is on the north side. Okay. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm taking him to Ethiopian. Nice, Diamond. nice. You ever been injured on the job? Uh, I have been hurt, but not injured. Okay. Yeah, we've all been yeah, hurt. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I've been hurt, but not injured. Copy, yeah, copy that. Copy that. Your last one here. Finish this line. Surely you can't be serious. Surely you can't be serious. The interview's over. I had such a great time. We should keep. Uh, it's from a movie. It's from, <laughs> it's from a movie. Oh, oh, oh! From a movie. Surely you can't be serious. Nah, I don't oh, know. you don't you know that me. one. What what movie is this? Airplane. Shirley. Yeah. Shirley. Don't call me Shirley. Yes. Don't call me Shirley. That's right. That's right. Don't call me Shirley. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You got it. You got it. All right, Chief. I appreciate you coming on. That was that was good stuff. (laughs) That was good stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Listen, this is great, man. And I, I, I appreciate your platform. I think this is information. It needs to get out and uh i applaud you for doing this thank you and uh you know supporting uh you know not only the uh the cause but also the culture man you know what i mean this is huge yeah thank you, thank you. much love yeah. appreciate it all right all right you thank take you, care sir. chief i'll let you know when this you comes too. out all right appreciate you got it. it have a good you one you too be safe all right all right y'all that's it for this episode of the black and blue podcast i want to thank my guests on this episode chief ladon reynolds of the Oak Park, Illinois Police Department for joining me on this episode. You are truly an inspirational leader, sir, and I am blessed to have had you on this episode. If you guys out there enjoyed this episode, make sure you like and subscribe to the show on the Black and Blue Podcast YouTube channel or whatever podcast platform you hear my voice today. I'll be back next week with another stimulating guest. Same black time, same black channel. But till then, you already know, stay black in blue. I'll holler at you. Deuces. This has been a Nature D Entertainment presentation.